Welcome to episode 29 of the LATCAST. My name is Keisha Prativadi, and I'm a one-read podcaster who will be your host. It's Thursday, October 8th, 2020, and I'm at home in Amarillo, Texas. On today's show, Jay Apaji and Ajay Godwal, two big Cowboys fans, join the show to talk about what the heck is going on in Dallas with that 1-3 football team. We also share some of our favorite albums over the years, and some notable tracks off of them, and also some fun facts if you stick around until the end. I'll also have Brett Riley on to give a primer for the Red River shootout between Texas and Oklahoma and Dallas this weekend, including what this game means for Texas head coach Tom Herman's future. We're a little sports-heavy this week with a dash of music, but that's the Ladcast for you, the show about nothing that has everything. If you don't care much for sports, worry not. You'll definitely learn a thing or two if you stick around until the end. Well, introductions aside, let's get right into it. I hate country music. I never have gotten it. Country music goes a lot harder than rock music, and people just don't seem to realize that. It's very frustrating. The Cowboys are the worst team in football. Ever think about how you spin your clothes in a wet metal tube and then bake them in a different metal tube to undo the wetness? How do you think your college life would be different if you hadn't met your best friends? Austin is the single most overrated city in the country. And at maximum, overdrive. Lit. Hey, my name is Anika Shah. Riasat alum. Coleman Quincy Godfrey Oxford. Roshan. Brett. Marshall Wing. Vishnu. And this is the Lad. Lad. Lads. Lad. Lads. Ladcast. 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 And you're listening to Ladcast. You're listening to the Ladcast. Alright, welcome to episode 29 of the Ladcast. Uh, my name is Keisha Kapibadi, I'm your host. Uh, thank you for joining in for another week. Um, today I've got two new guests with me um, on Zoom this time, and we're going to talk a little bit about how frustrated we are with the Cowboys' performance, uh, some a little tidbits of things that you might not know, and also a little bit about music, because uh, that's something that I haven't brought in and thought it'd be fun. So on the other side, I've got Ajay Godwal and Jay Apaji. So Hey guys, you just want to introduce yourselves? Yeah. Oh. Hello. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, okay. so my name is Ajay. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah. So my name is Ajay. Um, I went to UT with Keshav. I'm a I'm an engineer right now, and my handle is at Ajay Swish on Twitter. What was that thing? It's like my fantasy football team name. Yeah, if you want to. Yeah. So my name this year, which I changed, is Zeke and Destroy, Ooh, which I thought okay. was pretty creative. I just looked it up because I was tired of my old fantasy name, but it's Zeke and Destroy, which I like. Um, yeah. That's all there is to me, I guess. <clears throat> yeah, what's Jay, up, guys? What's yeah, up? keep on going. I'm, I'm Jay. Um... Jay Apaji, you can follow me on Twitter or any social media at Japaji4, that's at J-A-P-P-A-J-I-4. I went to Southern Methodist University in Dallas. Um, you know, we're actually the, we're actually the best uh, college football team in Texas right now. So chew on that. Um, my fantasy football team is called CJ4, which stands for Club Japaji for, um, I just named it that because I named it after myself. A long-standing then, franchise in the go, that that'll go down in the history of fantasy football as one of the greatest. 
Yeah, you know, I, I've, I've had this team and the name for like the last like 10 years, actually. This is my 10th season playing. Um, oh but it was called Club Japaji 4 initially. And then one of the years, Keshav joined as a co-owner. So um, we won you know, the championship that year. Yeah, we won the championship that year. But I changed the name to CJ4 just so that it wasn't so centered around me. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and was there something else I was supposed to say? No, that's it. You got them all. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, for me, you guys kind of, you, um, if you're, if you're um, a listener for the show, you already know who I am. But, uh, I mean, for you guys, you guys don't know who my, what my fantasy team is. So, my fantasy team is the Amarillo Armadillos. So, um, I just like, I like the alliterations um, a lot. Um, and uh, there was a couple of silly names I had, like the Allen Eagles, which was a play on Eagles. <laughs> back in the day, um, but we've graduated to Amarillo, and when I used to live in Austin, when I went to UT, I named my team the Austin Dogs, so we keep it pretty basic around here, so if you guys ever have any better um, fantasy team name suggestions, like, I don't know, Zeke and Destroy, or, um, I don't know, CJ4, just let me know, but yeah, you guys can find me on Twitter at, at KP the first. that's probably the best place to find me. But yeah, without that, uh, without further ado, let's get right into the show. So let's uh, kick it off with a little bit of music here. So um, I asked you guys to pick an artist. And now imagine that all their albums are gone, minus one, minus one of them. And all of those all albums that are gone are gone forever, and you can never hear a song from them again. So which one, which artist, and which album are you keeping, and why? Jay, you go first. Uh, okay, I have my answer. I can go. Um, so my artist is Freddie Gibbs, and if there was one album to keep, it would probably be his album, uh, Bandana. And, you know, I, I only recently got into Freddie Gibbs maybe like a couple months ago, not maybe a little bit more than a couple months ago, but um, he released a new album this year called Alfredo, so I was like, okay, I'll check it out. Um, and then I got into him like that, and then I listened to Bandana, and that was honestly like a life-changing album. It's just like every single song is really good um he's got great lyrics um he makes a lot of like good sports references as well as a lot of good political references and you know he he produced the entire album with someone with the producer called madlib and they're just like a really good combination Um, madlib is like a really really skilled producer and so all the songs Mm -hmm. came out really well um so i mean is there a song that you specifically liked on the album hmm, i think probably my favorite song would be palm olive um it features killer mike or killer mike and um, okay. push a t and so what kind of what good. kind of so i mean like what kind of vibe is this album is it like is it just is it i don't know introspective like is it pretty like hard like i don't know i don't know what, i don't know what the right word is but like what, what kind of what, what does it evoke for you it's a little bit of both you know honestly i think that's the the unique thing about freddie gibbs is like he can rap about sort of deep stuff without actually like changing the musical mood of the song too much. But um, I think in the, in the album, he talks just a lot about like his life story. Um, he, he like came, came up from like Gary, Indiana. So that's like actually one of the most like crime ridden cities um, in America. He grew up pretty poor, but then, you know, his, his talent prevailed and now he's i think one of the one of the most skilled rappers in the game if you ask me Mm -hmm. Um, how many rappers can can get the bars that he does so that's that's mostly what he talks about um but i think he like strikes a good balance between sort of 
uh, lighthearted stuff and more serious stuff. Okay, cool. Ajay, you got an answer? Yeah, so I was actually just scrolling through my, like, on repeat on Spotify just to kind of refresh my memory. And actually, yeah, lately, me I've been, lately I've been listening to a lot of Bollywood music. So I was like, man, like, Bollywood music doesn't really have albums. It's more like movie soundtracks. But right. I did find the same artist that I've kind of been listening to for, like, years, um, Kendrick Lamar. Um, okay. Seems like no matter, like, what year it's been for the past, like, eight years now like he's always been on my like very high up on my recents I've always had his songs in my loop um whether it's his old stuff or his new stuff it's a mix of everything but if I had to keep one album of his I it's it's a tough decision but I would have to keep Good Kid Mad City um because that's mm-hmm. the that's tough album. yeah I mean Dan was a great album as well yeah, Pimp uh, Butterfly is a really, really good album, but it's it's a it's bit like of a different so, sound Kendrick than the other one. It's just ones. so hard to choose. Yeah, absolutely. Which yeah, which is what like I mean, when you're picking like great artists, like of course picking just one one album is gonna be so hard to choose. But for me, I guess I had to go with Good Kid, Mad City because of just like I think the message kind of just like stands the test of time. It's also the first album that kind of got me into. Um, Kendrick Lamar and like I guess in a way into rap as well that's yeah it's kind of where I that's kind of where I got into rap as well I mean I remember Ajay when we were when we were back in like freshman year of high school we were I don't know what we were doing but remember we always put on like 104.5 and like a lot of his songs would come on I remember uh, DD in the morning DD in the morning (laughs) DD in the morning man (laughs) yeah I remember that would always come on while we were oh that was textbook returns at the end of the year that's what it was what's your favorite song Hey, Shop, you remember the Mad Minute? <laughs> oh, oh my God! <laughs> Dude, I'm to school, man. <laughs> I feel like I feel like you couldn't get away with that anymore. That I feel no. like in, in the in the year of it's our really Lord 2020, that's just no. taking things too far, man. Every, everybody's <laughs> mad for every single on minute edge. of the day. You don't need <laughs> yeah. to like make them more mad. Yeah, well, uh, my favorite album, on which uh, my favorite song on which album, Jay? No, I was asking like, what his favorite oh. song on on uh, Good Kid, Mad City is. Oh, you're yeah. asking me. Oh, that's- that's yeah, so hard. I, I have an answer. And you're already asking me to pick one album. <laughs> I actually, oh, actually, it's funny you ask. I recently did a bracket challenge with the songs in the oh, album. Oh, I remember seeing that, yeah. That was so tough, too, because I was just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, they're all really good. But my final round got down to um, swimming pools versus money trees. And I ended up going with money trees. Money trees, that's my favorite also. That's, like, that's my favorite, too. Such a strong, strong vibe, man. I really love it. The beat is just like, unbeatable on that. Any of the top four songs I could have easily had winning the whole thing. Yeah. Up bracket, mm-hmm. but I ended up going with Money Trees just because okay. I love that song. and it's, it's a great Yeah, song. it's great. But yeah, man, that's great. So for me, uh, I think I'll we'll, we'll take a step back from hip hop here and uh, <laughs> let's move over to a little bit more of the pop genre. So if I say the word Dale, you know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Pitbull. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. 305, Mr. Worldwide. Mr. 305, Worldwide. <laughs> yeah. But, man, this guy, like, every year, he's, like, a freaking hit machine, dude. So it's honestly, like, if you look at his albums, like, you find, like, those three songs that are good, and, like, that defines the whole album for you. So I was like, actually scrolling through on Spotify. So you look at, like, I don't know, you look at Planet Pit, which came out in 2011. That's had, like, Give Me Everything with Neo. <laughs> No, that song was good. <laughs> and then you look, 
and then you look just a few years um a few years later um and then you see a uh, global warming uh, that one has <laughs> that one's hey, with um you, that has you a should make that this moment you should have like saved that title for like for like the year like 2030 when like global warming is actually <laughs> going to be like I mean, irreversible crisis climate change is real before any of us <laughs> and then you look at the um when the next album this one is globalization so this came out back in 2014 my senior our senior year of high school had time of our lives one of my favorite pitbull songs and then yeah, I know. The album, yeah. and then fireball which was an absolute banger i forgot about that <laughs> hey i don't know if you guys remember this you know uh, you know when like 93.3 like became a like a pop radio station yeah, yeah. like you know you know how they, they like used to claim that like um time of our lives was like a like 93.3 like exclusive song or like whatever <laughs> whatever but that's where i like first heard that song but it's 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 a good song the first time i like properly heard that song is actually funny enough when the cowboys play the eagles on thanksgiving and pitbull was the performer that year at halftime oh, yeah you know yeah. that song that song reminds me of the the 2014 cowboys season which will always Dude, have we a special so place in, in all of yeah. our hearts and that was obviously our senior year of high school no, so i was watching then don't, don't forget that's caught it no, sorry, that's caught it. That Cowboys yeah, go ahead, game you are talking about, I was watching that game from a tent in front of Best Buy that year. Damn. I think, oh, um, yeah, we were on vacation. We were in Hawaii. And, like, I, I made sure to come back to the hotel room in time to watch the game. And then, like, by halftime, it was basically over. That was one of the oh. most disappointing Thanksgiving games I've ever yeah, watched. Yeah, I know. That Thanksgiving game sucked. Like, Mark, Mark Sanchez, like, tore us up. Like, and, like, remember when the Cowboys used to be invincible on Thanksgiving? And then all of a sudden now, they feel, it feels like they've been losing every year. But anyway, yeah, we kind of we kind of got away from that, so we got the sports, we got the uh, music talk out of the way. So let's get talking about the Cowboys. <laughs> so that was the per- It's the perfect segue, and so we'll start off. Um, so, um, want to recap some of the games this week? But obviously, the the elephant in the room, at least for us as uh, locals to the Dallas area, is the Cowboys falling flat against the Cleveland Browns in a forty-nine to thirty-eight defeat. It, Baker Mayfield didn't really have to win this game for the Cleveland Browns. Um, Dak Prescott um, had a costly strip sack in the first half. Zeke Elliott had a 30-yard run on the ensuing offensive play only to fumble it away. That led to 14 Tampa Bay, or excuse me, Cleveland points and essentially put the, really put the game away for the, for the Browns and just way too, way too, way, way too out of reach for the Cowboys to recover. The Cowboys defense, no resistance whatsoever to this team. And the Cowboys offense finally woke up, but only after falling, by, falling behind by 27 points. They came back within three, but obviously too little too late thanks to a Horse Cowboys defense. So Ajay, looking at this team, looking at what's going on in Dallas right now, what do you see as the as the main problem? Is it the injuries the defense has? Is it the coaching, or is it who's sitting up there in the front office? Okay, so you kind of mentioned it towards the end, right there. You said porous Cowboys defense. So yeah, I'm looking at the box score right here, and there's really not many numbers you need to look at. If you watch these games, you can clearly see there is a problem on the defensive end. So the one number I'm going to say is 307. That's how many rushing yards we gave up to the Cleveland Browns, which is the most in Cowboys franchise history. Now you might be wondering like, okay, we gave up that many yards. Like what really happened? Well, they had a a man who I've never heard of. His name is Dernest Johnson. Yeah. He led their team in rushing. And then 
Odell Beckham ran for 73 yards. Kareem Hunt ran for 71 yards. That might have been Odell Nick Beckham's Chubb. best game as a Brown. Nick Chubb yeah, ran that was for 43 yards. As a Brown. Excuse me there. Yeah. And I'm just looking at all these rushing numbers. I'm just like, you know, who couldn't have run against these guys? No, and, 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 you, and you look at him. Like, in his career, going into this game, Dearness Johnson had – 26 rushing yards. Is, is, is that, yeah. Wait, hold on, hold on. Was that the guy who worked as like a fisherman? Like, you know, <laughs> yes. I don't know. Yeah, that, 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 that was the guy. Yeah, I know. And that's not even to mention that Nick Chubb got injured and actually suffered exactly. like a significant exactly. injury. Like he's going to be out for like a few weeks now. And like that and just goes to show you the Cowboys front four just has not played the way that they that they were built. You you got to take that Hot Boys logo and the Hot Boys Hot Boys label and just throw that in the trash. Throw that away. I mean, yeah, Lawrence, like I don't want to see any more Hot Boys stuff. Antoine Woods, he's always he's been really good in the middle, but just not really that great this year. Tyron Crawford, I haven't even heard his name been mentioned this year. Everson Griffin, highly touted signing in the offseason. And I mean, what do we have to show for what is what does this defense have to show for? They've been absolutely gashed, absolutely dominated the line of scrimmage. Yeah. It doesn't help that Jalen Smith and Leighton Vanderesh aren't playing their best football either. I mean, Jalen Smith has fallen off a cliff these last couple of seasons too. Like he just looks absolutely you know, yeah, he, lost out there. I think his like he's like you know rookie season, so like this first season that he played was pretty good, um, and then that's what like kind of gave him the faith in him. But you know he's constantly getting burned. He's not able to cover players whenever he's expected to. Just uh, it's kind of a disaster. And you know Richard Sherman had like an interesting quote the other day. I don't know what the context of it was or, or like why they asked him, um, but he was talking about the Cowboys' defensive struggles under Mike Nolan, who's there new defensive coordinator and like early in the offseason like they made a pretty big deal about how with under Mike Nolan's defense they were going to like you know give the opposing offense a lot of different looks so it was like more difficult for the the offense to like figure stuff out or like what they were going to do so I was like okay that's that's good you know the previous you know Jason Garrett um, Rod Marinelli defense was like rather predictable they ran the same stuff teams could sniff it out easily so I'm like, okay, this is this is like refreshing to hear. They're going to mix it up. But, you know, Richard Sherman, what he said was like, that's fine. But the problem is when stuff isn't going well for you, like it's not going right now. It's like you have, really have nothing to like fall back on. Like there's no like right. default scheme like, for you to say like, okay, we're going to run this until we figure stuff out. And then we can go back to mixing it up. Like right now. It just seems like. The Cowboys' defense has been figured out by basically every team they've played. They're just I mean, throwing the Rams, stuff at the wall and hoping it sticks. Um, and exactly. so far, nothing and is also, stuck. And then you, you mentioned Rod Marinelli. I mean, one thing you get you could guarantee under a Rod Marinelli defense was effort. Like you would yeah. see whenever, whenever, like a, whenever a guy got the ball on a, on on the opposing team, there would be at least five Cowboys right there to make the play to finish that play. Literally until the ref blew the whistle, even if that guy was on the ground. And you don't see that now. Like, even with Jalen Smith, the way he jogged, really, to try and chase down Odell Beckham before yeah. it was too late on that end around. Like, yeah. The effort doesn't seem to be evident. And then Xavier Woods coming out and saying, oh, you can't expect us to be going 100% for 70 plays. Then it's like, if, you're not, if you can't expect to go 100% for 70 plays, why are you on the team? No, I will say this, though. I think that quote was more, like, related to, like, um, you know – conditioning or like you know health wise because obviously yeah it, it is tough to like play like your absolute hardest every single play but 
you know, the quote is obviously not going to come off right, given how bad the Cowboys are playing. Uh, yeah. And to your point about yeah. Rod Marinelli and, and effort and just, like, the general way that the team is constructed, I think, like, the philosophy so, – so under Rod Marinelli, their whole philosophy was, like, they would be able to plug in any defensive lineman or defensive end yeah. and, like, get some production out of it. They called them, like, like orphans, so, like, guys who weren't necessarily, like, stars in their own right, but just people that played hard – and they were constantly right. subbing in and out. And so, like, I, I suppose that made sense back then. Rod Marinelli knew how to get the best out of them. But this is a completely different system now. But their personnel, you know, strategy is still the same. And I just don't think it works now because you have a different defensive coordinator that doesn't play that way. So it's like you can't be starting, you know, undrafted guys or, like, you know, scrubs at the defensive line, which I don't think they do. But it's like why is, like, Demarcus Lawrence or Everson Griffin not – producing at the level we've yes. become accustomed to them we, doing. We've become accustomed to. I mean, Demarcus Lawrence, I, don't, I think he doesn't even have a sack on the year. He might only have, like, half a sack. And, I mean, you, you look at the Cowboys' defense, really the only two bright spots on this team are Trayvon Diggs and Alden Smith. And, and I don't even think Trayvon Diggs hasn't, hasn't been that good. He's been burned a lot, but has had some He's been beat. Like, I mean, you saw the, the DK ball, Metcalf yes. play. Yeah, and then, yeah. I mean, one of them was DK Metcalf, and he was he made a heads-up play to strip the ball, sure. But then Julio Jones burned him on that one play, but he just dropped it um, against I mean, Atlanta. even that DK Metcalf play, the fact of the matter is he got burned, but he got lucky yeah. enough to force the fumble there. Mm-hmm. But he's played other receivers very well um, throughout. I, I would say he's probably been the Cowboys' best defensive back so far. And I think one thing that really burns the Cowboys also is the inability to produce a turnover. I mean, uh, I was, yeah. I was looking agree. and I think the, I'll tell I you why. The last, the last time the Cowboys had an interception return for a touchdown was three years ago. I mean, imagine not having a two, two going two full seasons without an interception return for a touchdown. That's unbelievable. And the worst I mean, thing, forget about even a, the worst thing you can combine with not forcing turnovers is giving up a lot of turnovers. Like Zeke is fumbling, yeah, not getting strip sack. Like you just cannot win football games if you do not force turnovers or protect the ball. And you're just right. giving the opponent so many more chances to beat you. And you're gonna put yourself in a position where the lead is too much. It's insurmountable. And the Cowboys have been in that position against the Browns and they were in, in that position against the Falcons, but luckily it took a miracle to pull that out. Yeah. But you just cannot and also another number for you. Um I think the Cowboys have only run seven offensive snaps all season long when they had a lead. Lead, so yeah, they've trailed the, the entire season. The Cowboys season. have always been playing from behind all all the time. So once you when you play from behind, you're basically abandoning whatever game plan you had. But the thing is the Cowboys don't seem to do that. They always are still stick like okay, fine. The defense has a problem, sure, but we also have to talk about the offense and the Wait, way oh, that the Cowboys. I, I, got, I have a quick from, stat for you guys, though. Yeah, speaking of the number seven, ahead. speaking of the number seven, that's like the number of interceptions the Cowboys had last season as like takeaways. Seven interceptions in sixteen games. Like, forget about interceptions returned for touchdowns. Let's just even talk about interceptions to begin with. These guys have had a like a terrible trouble you know taking the ball away in the form of interceptions and I'll tell you why it's just because for the longest time the Cowboys have not invested in safeties and it's like I, I, I firmly believe this is like unless you have respectable safeties that that teams are are somewhat concerned about you're not going to take the ball away it's just not possible because then like just so much more pressure is on your cornerbacks to deliver and it's not like the Cowboys have great corners to begin with and now they're especially banged up with Awuzie and, and Anthony Brown injured, so it's like 
what do they have? They don't have anything in the secondary. Oh yeah, for sure. And I mean, yeah, you have the, your two best corners are basically gone. So I mean, what what are you gonna do? Um, what are you gonna do about that? You play have guys like Daryl Worley or Trayvon Diggs basically mm-hmm. having having being forced to guard like the likes of Odell Beckham, Julio Jones, and you know I don't know. If Golden Tate is definitely not up in that conversation, but you're gonna have elite wide yeah, receivers that, that the Cowboys are gonna play later on this year. So you have to have a you have to have a game plan for that, and the Cowboys just haven't had an answer for it. And, and I think it all starts with just really getting up a lot of yards on first down. You saw the Browns, they're a, they're a very good running team. They're getting five or six yards a, a carry on first down. They're always ahead of the stakes. And the Cowboys just never seem to be able to force teams in, not only into just like a third and long, but just third down. Yeah, no. So, and like you said with the receivers, right? Like every, it seems like as we're in this, passing era like where all these teams are you have to have like number one options and like a quarterback that can throw the ball like if you're not gonna like if you're not gonna like invest in a secondary then you will get torched like this by mm-hmm. not just the good teams the average teams and the below average teams like they and, will yeah. attack you and look it kind of goes back to like where the cowboys were in the draft and they had the potential to draft a good defensive player but obviously yes. it's cd land Sure, like C.D. Lamb has paid off, but I mean, you're looking at the record. You're looking at your team's record right now, and are you? Does C.D. Lamb still, in your head, me um, come out to you as the guy we should have picked that picked at that at that spot? Yeah, and personally, I when C.D. Lamb was drafted, I remember I wasn't too, I wasn't too excited about it in the sense that I didn't want another receiver. We already had Amari Cooper, yeah. and yeah. We really, really yeah, and Michael to, Gallup, obviously. Yeah, we just really needed to invest in the defense. The offense, yeah. like our offense, is arguably the most talented offense in the entire National Football League, without a doubt. Yeah, and the fact that that offense and it's it's shown this season too. Despite the record, we have put up insane passing numbers. I mean, Dak is yeah. on pace to have the most passing yards in NFL, like in a single he's, season. He's on pace passing, to, single season passing record. He's on pace to surpass it by like six by like sixteen hundred yards or fifteen hundred yards yeah. or something. And it's I mean, like, the, the 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 situation which we drafted CD Lamb kind of is a mirror to the situation where the Cowboys were number four and they had to choose between Ezekiel Elliott and Jalen Ramsey. Obviously, they went with Ezekiel Elliott and sure it's paid off, but that's also to con- that's also like the Cowboys defense back in 2016 is not the same as what it is right now, completely depleted. And then you can even go back even further, I think to what, what maybe it was 2011 or what, maybe 2012 when the Cowboys had to choose between Johnny Manziel and Zach Martin and like, you know, Stephen Jones came in there and chose Zach Martin, and it worked out. It worked out amazing. Look at look at oh, he's yeah. still a stud today. He can play right tackle or guard. It doesn't matter. What doesn't matter. And I mean, it's a, it's a fine line between choosing between the like the absolute stud in the draft or the guy you need or like the guy you want versus the guy you need. But like when it comes to bite back like this, then you can't help but look back at that. Yeah, but I think at least like when when you're drafting in that position, I think, especially in the first round, you have to take the most talented player available. And it's like when a guy like CeeDee Lamb is available, it's like, you just do it, you know? So, and yeah, I think they were fine to get that. And they got Trayvon Diggs in the second round. So at least it paid off. Yeah. I don't think they should regret that. So I guess like kind of wrapping up our talk here on the offense. So, I mean, now we have Lyle Collins who's going to be shut down for the year. And um, I saw that Tyron Smith might put, 
might has the chance to also be potentially shut down for the season as well. So the Cowboys out with one of their without their top two offensive linemen or top one of their basically two of their top three offensive linemen. How do you see? How do you anticipate this offense faring the rest of the year? I think we're gonna see a lot more of what we've already seen. You know, Dak Prescott putting up 400 yard games. Zeke not getting as many touches as I'd like for him to get because we're going to be playing from behind more often than not. Like I think you mentioned seven, we we played seven snaps from, from with the lead and you just cannot run the ball. If you're like putting yourself in double digit deficits. And I mean, it'll be, it's just going to be a lot of passing and it's going to be a struggle. And I, I would not be surprised if we just limped our way through the like, I guess the last three fourths of the season as just as we've done for the first first quarter of the season, we're just going to be relying on Dak a lot more than we should to make plays. And I don't blame Dak for the interceptions he's thrown thus far, just because it's because the, there's a sense yeah, of I mean, urgency on offense. Yeah, he, he's trying to make a play. And he when, passed like almost 60 times last game. And it's like, you know, I mean, that's what happens when you're trailing for so long. Right. Exactly. Like, if you throw one pick in 60 attempts, like, that's not awful. That's but pretty it, good. It's yeah. going to probably come at the end of the game. It's going to look like a terrible mistake. But, like, make no mistake, Dak Prescott is not at fault for this offense or the amount of – the amount that's being asked of him to carry this team because there's there's problems on the defensive end. There's problems with coaching. And there's a lot that needs to change if we're going to if we're gonna see this team live up to its true potential that it can be. Oh, for sure. And I mean, like you go, you look, you look ahead now. So um, since the league merger of 1970, 297 teams have started one and three since that time. Only 35 of those have made the playoffs. So it's about just about 12% of teams. And only one of those 35 teams has actually won the Super Bowl after starting one and three. So taking that into account, do you think the Cowboys can recover from a one and three start? Can they not only win the division, not only can they make the playoffs? Get, well, can they make the playoffs is the first question. And I mean, what will it take for to make that recovery? Will Will the Cowboys have a coaching change? Um, do you think in these next few in these upcoming games? <laughs> I think there's a, well. First of all, there's like a lot of questions there. On the note of making the playoffs, I definitely do think they still can, for a couple of reasons. One, they have the talent. Obviously, we know that. Um, it's just a matter of can the defense improve at least marginally to where it's not just giving up a touchdown every single drive. That's the big question with them. But on the other hand, it's like they play in the NFC East, which is far and away the worst division in the NFL right now. I mean, they don't have like a tremendous amount of competition here. So in that sense, when you look at how all the teams stack up with each other, there's no doubt that the Cowboys are the most talented team in the NFC East. And there's an expanded expanded playoff um, format this year. So, I mean, I think if the Cowboys don't make the playoffs, it would be a, a huge failure, even despite the poor start to the season that they've had. Um, with regards to the coaching change, I just I don't see that happening just because they're in the first year of a new system. I mean, I think some hiccups were all already expected. And it's like when you sign a coach to a five-year deal, I think you just you at least want to see it through for one year before you make any decisions um, about the future like that. And I, I also don't think it would be wise to just blow it up, um, you know, in the first year just because of a poor start to the season. But, I mean, I think we'll see as time goes on whether this is like a, you know, a partnership that's going to bear some good results or if it's just going to be a disaster. I just don't know what it's going to take. Um, how much more of this 
fans can take or even Jerry Jones can take before they pull the, pull the trigger on change. But I don't really know. Say we even say the Cowboys fired Mike Nolan. Who's the guy they're going to go turn to? It doesn't really seem like there is anyone. Wade Phillips. <laughs> you know, he said he is watching and waiting. So I wouldn't mind coming back to Dallas. It would honestly be a slap in the face to <laughs> Jason I don't Garrett. Think, I don't think he would. I think Wade yeah, Phillips I think is probably a bit Jerry salty Jones about ego that. Wouldn't allow that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, yes, um, apart I, from that, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say, like, I don't think anyone would be surprised if the Cowboys made the playoffs, right? Like, that's not a crazy expectation to have. Like, we just have to do better than three other teams who happen to be probably the three worst teams in the National Football League. They yeah, without a doubt, the Washington team and the Giants. But the 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 where I get upset with this team is like, you know, it seems like we are always expected to make the playoffs. And more often than not, we do wind up getting a playoff game. And then we'll just lose or we'll win one game and then lose the second, the divisional round. And it's just like, you know, it's been that cycle for the past, like my entire life. Like we've never gotten to an, I've never seen the Cowboys in an NFC championship game. I wonder when the next time will be. I think one of the most frustrating things also is like the Cowboys for all the hype and all the, you know, pomp and circumstance they get. Like, when was the last time they made consecutive playoff berths, right? Like, I don't know. I can't think. Yeah, of I don't think. I don't think. It's like, a, it's like no other team, ever happened. No other, like, you know, playoff force in the NFL has struggled to, like, make the playoffs in consecutive years. Yet the Cowboys, like, whenever they make the playoffs, it's, like, such a huge deal. And the next year, they, like, completely disappoint. And now they're at risk of not making the playoffs for two straight years. So it's, like... How is it so hard? The Cowboys haven't mm-hmm. done really anything like meaningful. And the thing out. is that uh, from like front to bottom, they've always had a lot of talented names on the roster. So mm-hmm. it, I know. we we said it was the coaching change. We got Mike McCarthy. So I mean, I still think he might. We have to wait for maybe another four games to really see what this team's about. And then after that, I feel like we can make a prognosis on what exactly is or who this Cowboys team is. The good news is there's a lot of time left to turn this season around. Without a doubt. But I mean, you look at the you look at the Cowboys' next four games. Obviously, the Giants are in town this weekend, so that's a must-win. You have to get that game. But then yeah. you have a couple of you have a couple of toss-up games. You have you know, three of the next four games against for Dallas are within the division. So you have home games, or you have a home game against the Giants, road trips to Washington and Philadelphia, and then right and bookended between right in between sandwich in between that is a date on Monday night with the Arizona Cardinals. Kyler Murray coming into his old stomping grounds. So I mean. In these next four games, how do you see the Cowboys faring? I mean, I expect them to win all the games. Like, I don't think it's crazy for me to say that. They should win all four of those yeah. games. And I, should I think the Cowboys come out of it three and one. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty reasonable to expect. Yeah, yeah I think three and one, maybe two and two at the worst, but three and one is what my expectation is. I think two and two would be disappointing, to be honest with yeah. you. I think three and one is like the bare minimum. And I mean, I think. I think for the Cowboys, they have to take all the all their divisional games. Like those are the games that you have to get all six of those. And if you get those, all you need to do is win two or three more games outside of your division, and you'll be in the playoffs. So yeah, that's it. Anyways. I mean, to put it in perspective, though, like a three and one record makes them five hundred on the season halfway yeah. through. Like that's not right. particularly impressive, but I guess we'll take it after what you know what's happened these last. Four this years. is what the, I mean. This is it is what it is, right? 
But yeah, that's good. Good stuff today. Uh, talking about the Cowboys. I mean, we'll uh, we'll make our picks a little bit later in the show. But for right now, we'll take a quick break and we'll get back with a little bit more analysis on the, what's going on in the league and make some picks as well. Uh, keep it posted right here. You're listening to the Live Cats. Episode 29 of the podcast. Your host. I've got Jay Apology and Andre Godwell here with me, uh, two old friends dating way back. Uh, we're talking a little bit of football right now. Uh, we just finished talking about the Dallas Cowboys and some of their struggles. So right now, what I want to do is turn our attention to another game around the league. Uh, I asked um, both Jay and Ajay to pick an honorable mention that they had. Just another game off the schedule, apart from obviously the Dallas Cowboys, our favorite team, uh, that really uh, um, piqued their attention. So, Ajay, what was your honorable mention for the week? Well, I kind of went with the biggest fish in the in the option out of the options, but the Chiefs versus the Patriots game. So, we obviously have the defending Super Bowl champions going up against you know Bill Belichick and the Patriots. And the thing that stood out to me while I was watching this game on Monday night, um, as a Cowboys fan, I'm you know used to seeing my team get penalized a lot. But the thing about this game is there were barely any penalties. And the both offenses and defenses executed very, very well. And you saw the New England defense execute their plan to kind of limit Patrick Mahomes. You know, And the, they talked about it during the broadcast. Like Patrick Mahomes has never struggled more against any other defense than, than against a Bill Belichick defense. He's, he's, he's gone entire halves without throwing a touchdown against the Patriots um, – in the championship game a few years back, and then that uh, in Foxborough when he went up there, I believe two years ago. So Patrick Mahomes always struggles against the Patriots. So it's, it was very interesting kind of to watch the chess match between Andy Reid and Bill Belichick, seeing how well coached these teams were and how, you know, and I, I really do believe if Cam Newton played in this game, you know, the Chiefs very well could have lost because... Yeah, and I mean, it kind of goes to show, like, how Bill Belichick really knows how to keep a team prepared. And, mm-hmm. you mean, you just he just threw Jared Stidham in the game, and this guy, on I think, his first pass, or sec- first or second pass, and threw a touchdown pass. Sure, he threw a couple of interceptions after that, but he mm-hmm. was effective. Oh, yeah. And it kind of just goes to, sh- goes to show, like, he has everybody ready no matter what. And the fact that the Chiefs are... are, are the, excuse me, the Patriots are able to keep this game close 
goes to show you, obviously, the strength of that Patriots defense as well. Obviously, now Stephon Gilmore testing positive for COVID kind of throws a wrench into that stuff. So we'll have to really see uh, what goes on. Obviously, like the COVID just really seems to be a big X factor in this league. But yeah, that's a that's a good one, Ajay. So um, kind of going uh, kind of going around, the, staying in the AFC. Um, I picked the Cincinnati Bengals taking down the Jacksonville Jaguars, 33-25. So Joe Burrow, the Heisman Trophy winner out of LSU, picks up his first win as an NFL quarterback, throwing for 300 yards, three total touchdowns, or 300 yards, I believe, three touchdowns and an interception. And on the other hand, on, on, alongside of him, Joe Mixon, 180 total yards and three total touchdowns to go along with it. So that's the one thing Joe Burrow really hasn't seemed to have help with um, so far this season. He didn't. He's always been throwing 40 or 50 passes per game, but it just has not had support in the ground game to allow him to set up, um, to allow him to be more effective as a passer. So this was really the first game where the Bengals really established the run and were able to, um, to that end, you know, get out, get out with the victory. But that doesn't take into account the fact that the Bengals' offensive line still sucks. And Joe Burrow has basically been running for his life for the entire season. And he has been taking some pretty nasty hits. So I feel like it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when he takes Joe one. Joe Burrow finds himself be, in the burrow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He might, not, he might be sitting out the game or two just to recover from that. But, I mean, I'm impressed yeah. with Joe Burrow so far. He's been able to fight through basically having a pretty bad team, pretty bad team to play with, especially a really bad offensive line. And so we'll see how they do. They're one, two, and one right now. And I feel like the um, they can probably finish second in the NFC or in the AFC North, second or third behind the Steelers and the Ravens. I think he misses his LSU team, huh? <laughs> yeah, I think he misses them a lot. I don't think – I think before this year, he hadn't lost in a game probably since the year before, probably since the 2018 season. So, yeah, he, he, like Kyler Murray, he has to get used to losing as well. <laughs> so, Jay, what do you have for your honorable mention of the week? For my honorable mention game, I have the Seahawks and the Dolphins. The Seahawks won 31 to 23, but the game was surprisingly close. Um, when you consider how bad the Dolphins were last year and how good the Seahawks have been this year, two different seasons, but I think we could say the Dolphins are still not a great team. But the Dolphins fought pretty well through the game um, against Russell Wilson, who's arguably been the best QB in the NFL for the last two seasons. Um, you know, we saw against the Cowboys how potent of an offense the Seahawks have. So it, I, I just felt it was pretty impressive that the, the Dolphins kept it close despite Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing two picks and no touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, the Seahawks and it kind of goes to produce. show that the Seahawks defense also has a lot of work left to do. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, they, the they have the a... Cowboys, but the Seahawks um, defense at least knows how to force turnovers. Yeah, and they're a functional organization, unlike the Cowboys, you know. <laughs> the Cowboys just have a lot of systemic dysfunction that has trickled down to the defense and trickled down to the on-field execution of the team that other teams are able to mask a little bit better. The, yeah, obviously the Seahawks are going to be a big team to watch out for um, when you're talking about NFC contenders. The Dolphins, not so much on the AFC, but still a lot of football left to be played. So that being said, let's go make some picks for this week. Um, I got, I think, eight game, nine games on the docket, or some, some NFL, some college football. So let's start. The one, two, and one Cincinnati Bengals. You travel up to Baltimore, Charm City, to play the Ravens. Who you got, Jay? Ravens. I think it's oh, pretty Jay? easy. Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, I got, I got the Ravens as well in that one. I mean, I think you're in Baltimore. 
He's still facing rookie quarterback, and the Baltimore defense is pretty opportunistic, so take the Ravens there. Next up, we got Jason Garrett and the New York Giants. Winless so far, traveling to 1-3 and three Dallas. I mean, you don't even need to ask. <laughs> I think the uh, silence here just kind of tells me what you guys want to say, what you guys don't want us, what you guys want, what you guys want to say, but are just not trying to speak into existence. But I'm just going to go out there and say I'm going to pick the Dallas Cowboys. But I don't know what I'm going to do if we come back out of this game with a loss. It's not going to be pretty. No, it's not going to be pretty. But uh, Jay, what do you think? I I'm predicting the Cowboys big. I'm like we've been saying all all like for the past hour. That's one of the most talented teams. Like, and this Giants team looks helpless. They don't have their best player in Saquon Barkley. They, for God's sakes, Jason Garrett is on their coaching staff. Like, like what What do I need to say? Like, we should win yeah. big. All right, Jay, what you got? <laughs> this is a tough one for me, you know, because <laughs> the, the Cowboys have owned the Giants in recent years, and there's no reason to believe that they won't again. The Giants suck as much as the Cowboys have been bad this season. The Giants have been worse. Um, but I could see Jason Garrett, um, you know, he knows Kellen Moore and, and this offensive system. So it isn't entirely inconceivable that Jason Garrett helps snip out the Cowboys game plan here. But, Shuts one up. Um, yeah, but I think um, <laughs> I will reluctantly pick the Cowboys to win this game, just given right. the history of them beating the Giants in the recent years. All right, let's speed it up here. We got the three and one Colts at three and one Cleveland. Who you got? Cleveland. Cleveland. I got. I actually got the Indianapolis Colts in this game, just because good things don't last very long in Cleveland. Um, so uh, next up, we got the Minnesota Vikings, um, one and three, traveling to undefeated Seattle. This is a no-brainer for me. I'm going to go to Seahawks. Uh-huh. All right, and yeah. then we got the L.A. Chargers, Justin Herbert. Uh, heading down to the Big Easy to play the New Orleans Saints in the Superdome. Justin Herbert and Drew Brees, uh, a, a washed-up Drew Brees, I should say. The two-and-two two Saints. <laughs> Who you got? I mean, I saw the way that Justin Herbert hung around with Tom Brady um, last week. He threw for about 300 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. Uh, he's got a um, reliable receiver in Keenan Allen. And then the Saints defense is definitely not played the way they probably should be playing. And for that reason, I'm picking the Los Angeles Chargers. I'm going to go with the Chargers, too. I think Justin Herbert is a supremely talented player, and I think – And when you don't have the the advantage of the Superdome and all the noise and everything in there, that's just a whole different thing, a whole different ballgame. And there's nobody there, so I just think the Chargers will overcome. Yeah, the Saints Saints have struggled a bit this season, so I'm going to go Chargers. They have, but I still got to go with the Saints. I mean, Justin Herbert's still a rookie quarterback, and Drew Brees may have been struggling recently, but I think he can get back on track this week. All right. And then next up after that, um, got uh, the last NFL game I want you guys to pick, the COVID game. The Buffalo Bills, undefeated, will travel to undefeated Tennessee to face off against the Titans. Who would have thought these two teams would be undefeated? And, like, yeah, who would have really, uh, – the Titans, not, I'm not as surprised about, but the Bills, definitely. But hey, I just I, think I, even though the Titans – the momentum, the, just the amount of time off that the Titans have had is really going to affect them. And for that reason, I am picking the Buffalo Bills. I'm going to go with the Bills also. I'm picking the Bills on this one. All right. And now let's move on to some college football. So uh, let's start down in the SEC. We've got number four, Florida, traveling to College Station to face the number 21-ranked Texas A&M Aggies. I think Florida's probably going to win this one by maybe three, four scores. 
I want to say. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I think it's going yeah. to be a relatively close game. I think it'll be within the seven to ten point. It's going to be between one to two possessions uh, margin of victory for the Gators. And it will play close. But obviously, under Jimbo Fisher, they just haven't been able to make it over the hump, and it'll stay that way. Florida by 21. I'm going to go Florida by 14. All right. And then uh, now we got – this is an interesting uh, interesting number 17. The number seven Miami Hurricanes. It's all about the U. Um, they are traveling up to Clemson to play the top-ranked Tigers. So what are your feelings on that, OJ? Well, I mean, there's a reason Clemson's number one in the nation, and it's because they have the best quarterback in the nation, Trevor Lawrence. I, I can't see – Future many- New York Giants. <laughs> Future – Future quarterback of the New York Giants. I mean, yeah, yeah he could could be. But mm-hmm. like I said, I don't see uh, – there's there's maybe two teams in the nation that can hang with these Clemson Tigers, and Miami is not one of those teams. It's going to be yeah. – it may be close in the first half if the Tigers come out a little flat, but I have no doubt that the Tigers will put them away in a pretty good right. fashion. Yeah, and I think, like, Miami will keep this one close throughout the whole game. Uh, De'Ara King has been a solid transfer. I mean, you got to feel for Tate Martell, who just really has never gotten a chance to start in college ever since he even made it, um, even ever since he got out of high school as a highly touted recruit. But I think he's been solid so far this year, and I think that's going to carry over into this game. But against Clemson, I mean, your bet, your best might not even be good enough. So I'm picking Clemson here, but I think they take it by four. Jay? Yeah, I'm going to take Clemson also. Like Jay said, they're – there's a reason they're the number one team in the nation. Can't argue with that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, last up, we got um, not the kind of game that we expected to be going into this season, but definitely a game we were looking forward to. The number 22, Texas Longhorns, 2-1 coming off a loss to TCU, will face off against Oklahoma, having lost back-to-back conference games for the first time since, I think, 1998. So, wow. Ajay, how do you feel about the number 22 Longhorns in this game? First of all, I didn't know that's sad. OU has not lost back-to-back games in the conference since 1998. That is something else. And it goes to show that they are – they have not been this bad in a long time. Like, uh, just thinking back to the past, you know, handful of years, they've had Heisman Trophy winner after Heisman Trophy winner. Like, they've had the quarterbacks – like, quarterbacks that any team in the nation would love to have. But they don't have that now, and – They've, they've, they're not looking too good. On the other hand, you have Texas, who they've been, they, you know, they kind of have the tendency to play up and down to the competition to where exactly. Every, that's what I've always noticed in our in our four years, five years watching this team. Yeah, so that Texas Tech game was a perfect example, and it's it sucks because the first game of the year, you know, we convincingly blew out UTEP, but that was a conference opponent. You know, we played Tech. It's UTEP, yeah. We pulled out Tech, and then, of course, we got kind of exposed against TCU, and we can't play like that against OU, and if we do, we'll get – we'll lose, but we could we could win. I'm predicting Texas to win this game. We should win this game, and, like, if we don't, then we're going to have a different conversation in a week, but – Let's, let's take care of business at the Red River Red River rivalry. Jay, I know your parents both have ties to Oklahoma, so you might be a little biased making this pick, just as biased as we are. But we got this game. I think I'm gonna go with OU, man. I gotta gotta take my adopted team right there. So um, I'm gonna go with OU. All right, 
Um, so I think for this game, this is probably the biggest game of Tom Herman's tenure at Texas. I mean, Ooh. you're you're two and one. This is probably the most like from a talent perspective. This is probably the least talented Oklahoma team he's he's going to have faced in his entire time at Texas. I mean, for two years he's faced um, Baker Mayfield, and then another year after that um, he faced Kyler Murray. I don't know. For one year, he got Baker Mayfield. He got Kyler Murray, and then he faced Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, yeah. and now you have Spencer Rattler. This is the first quarterback that Lincoln Riley is kind of had in the program and is like making is developing through the program as opposed to a transfer quarterback. So I think it'll be interesting to see the kind of play Spencer Rattler um, kind of puts out there on the field. He's been very effective as a passer already. Um, he, obviously, the mistakes have doomed him, but I still think that. He can be effective, and he will definitely tear up this Texas defense um, this week. But I think Sam Ellinger is more established, and he can take control of a game when you need him to. And he will make. He hasn't faltered in a big moment. I don't think in in, in quite a while of watching Texas football, probably since the USC game, where um, he fumbled at the goal line in double overtime. So I think Texas wins this game solely on the back of Sam Ellinger, and the defense will finally make a play against Spencer Rattler and do the Sooners in. Let's hope. So that's my monologue in the Texas game, but that's kind of what I that's kind of what my thoughts are heading into it. So um, I'm gonna have a little bit. You guys will be hearing it a little bit here, but we're gonna have a little preview with Brett Riley. Um, he's gonna break down uh, some keys to the game against Texas uh, for the Texas OU Red River Shootout, and we'll talk a little bit about that here after a few after uh, some closing arguments from a few from uh, Jay and Ajay. We're talking about some things that we didn't really know. So keep it locked right here on the livecast. Um, we'll be back in just a few moments. Episode 29 of the Gladcast. We're wrapping up here with Jay Apaji and Ajay Godwell. Had a great show so far talking about Cowboys' woes and making our picks for the week. So um, what we always close the Gladcast out with, or what I've been trying to, is kind of having to share with the audience something that we, uh, that you, the audience, probably didn't know. And that we know we want to share with you guys to enlighten you. So Ajay, what was your, uh, what's your fun fact or that you had to bring today to the show? Yeah, so oh, that I don't know. I actually have two fun facts. So the first one is a hummingbird's heart can beat up to 1,260 times per minute. Well, so what is the human heart? What's the human heart like heart rate in terms of beats per minute? I don't know. You're wearing the Apple Watch. Check. Yeah, check your Apple Watch. You know, I don't, I don't <laughs> use it for that, man. <laughs> like, well, a quick Google search shows me that it's about 60 to 100 beats per minute. So that's about... 
10 times as many heartbeats per minute than yeah, a um, human. That's pretty incredible. So what's your second fun fact? Yeah, so I, um, for those who don't know, I'm actually pretty kind of into like historical fun facts or like learning about like history. So this yeah. fun fact was really shocking to me because it's actually, it's actually from today. So there was this podcast I was actually listening to. Um, it was called The World's Loneliest Man. And it was about uh, it was about indigenous tribes and how in a lot of parts of the world there are tribes that um, have never made contact with civilization, despite oh, yeah. the advancement and globalization of the world. So there is one man that lives in the Amazon rainforest, and the Brazilian government has banned anyone from going within 40 miles of him because um, no one from his native tribe exists anymore. They were all killed off by disease or um, uh, um, deforesters, like what's the, uh, people that were cut, loggers, sorry. Yeah. Uh, so no one speaks his language because they're all dead. And anytime he sees any human, he instantly attacks them. So mm-hmm. he was kind of labeled the world's loneliest man. And it's, it's a really, really like interesting read to just think about how there's someone in the world right now who for the past 20 to 30 years has not been able to talk to anyone has not been able to have any sort of interaction with anyone. And he just lives off of this. He's basically no one's there to continue his lineage, right? That's it. Yeah. And it's really, really sad, honestly. That is really sad. Absolutely. And that reminds me of actually, I think there's a similar tribe um, in, you know, the Andaman Islands. North Sentinel Island, right? The North Sentinel Island. Yeah. Yeah. Those people, if you pull up on their island, they will kill you. They'll kill you, yep. <laughs> they will kill you. And they'll put your skulls on like a stake on the beach so other people know not to come. And, like they, they don't know like they don't know a lot about like the advances in technology so far to um, like so far and like, you know, obviously not about mobile phones, the internet, things like that. So yeah. They're kind of in that age and they haven't been disturbed for so long. It's honestly kind of incredible that they haven't It's actually illegal to go to that islands um, by mm-hmm. the Indian government. And I, yeah, yeah, I just think learning about stuff like that is so interesting because we, you know, we're on a Zoom call right now. It's like yeah. seamlessly we're so communicating yeah, hundreds of miles away. But these people, it just seems kind of slip through the cracks of technology, global, globalization, and just like advancements. And it's just so fascinating that they still sure. live their own sort of lifestyles and we can't do anything about it. It's just interesting. Right. So Jay, what was your fun fact? Or actually, no, I, I know you wanted to save the best for last, so I'll kind of stick <laughs> step right here in the middle. So I got some great stuff. For me, I want to talk. I love talking about Amarillo. Um, obviously, that's where I'm at right now. But there's a lot of interesting things that I didn't know about it when I, when I got here that I'm sure you guys might know about. Not might not know about it. So Amarillo calls itself the helium capital of the world. Um, so basically, there's a big like I, I don't even know what it's called, but like a helium molecule kind of thing. Like they have it in Belgium in Brussels, um, but they have one over here in Amarillo because um, the U.S. Bureau of Land Management um, had a facility um, which, hold, which held 30 billion cubic feet of helium, which is enough to meet the world's global demand for helium for 15 years. So we have that much helium in Amarillo. And for that reason, the Pantex plant exists up here, which is the only facility in the United States that can handle nuclear handle in terms of arming and disarming nuclear weapons so for that reason amarillo was also not only named the yellow city because amarillo amarillo means yellow in spanish but also because and amarillo is also called bomb city 
And funny enough, there is a vodka named after that um, that is distilled here in Emerald called Bomb City Vodka. And I've tried it. It doesn't taste too bad. Nice. I didn't know about the vodka. I didn't know about the helium, though. Yeah. So um, if there's going to be a nuclear attack on this country, I'll probably be the first one to disintegrate out of you guys. So it's been nice knowing you. But Jay, tell me what you got. Um, so my fun fact is that, what was I going to say? The word Metroplex was created to describe the DFW area. I don't know if many people know that, but I feel like the word Metroplex is now used in the context of other cities, but it was actually created to describe the DFW area because it was, and still is, a metropolitan complex, hence the combination word Metroplex. There is no place like Plano, Texas, isn't it? <laughs> There's not. Plano, Texas is actually the fourth Boy, largest fourth largest city in <laughs> or fourth most populated city in the DFW Metroplex. It goes Dallas, Fort Worth, Arlington, and then Plano. Oh yeah. I'm wow. sure Frisco is getting up there too. I mean Dallas is yeah, going just is. crazy fast, especially north of downtown. Yeah. You're starting to see Prosper and all those other towns develop up there. I mean it's, it's you know big, it's, but... it's 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 interesting enough. Like I was driving to Dallas a couple of weeks ago and I was, uh, you know, on the final stretch of the drive, I was on the Sam Rayburn Tollway um, going north, um, for those of you who have ever done that drive, and going towards Frisco, and, like, I was, I think, around, like, Coppell, um, that area. But, like, you know, once you start getting to, like, Nebraska Furniture Mart, you can start to see, like, the Frisco skyline come into view, and it's like, yeah, damn, a couple like, of Frisco has like a skyline. Yeah. This is a skyline. It's like, you know, ten, how fast this developed over the years. Like 10, 15 and then years now ago, you have like that, that, area had no, that area had nothing in it. And now it's before like, that, it's it was just Stonebriar and like Ikea and like the Dr. Pepper ballpark. But now you have obviously the Cowboys, um, Cowboys facility and everything around that. And then now and Legacy West is really big, too. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting up there. It's just a shame you have to pay tolls to get there. Yeah, that's that's the mm-hmm. annoying part. But hey, uh. But Jay, Jay, thank you guys for joining the show this week. It was really fun. Uh, I hope we're uh, hopefully I'll do the show next week if the Cowboys uh, win because I don't know if I have the heart to do it if they lose. But um, it was an honor to have you guys on the show, and we can hope to have you hope to see you guys here sometime later on the season, maybe after a few wins. We'll see how it goes. Thanks for having me, Keisha. Yeah, man, let's do it again. Yeah, we'll see you guys after this. So coming up next, uh, going to talk to Brett Riley. We're going to talk about. Some Texas OU to get you primed for the Red River Showdown on Saturday morning. So keep it locked right here, guys. You're listening to The Lat Dance. Brett Riley, 
Um, he is joining in from Washington, D.C., and he has been a, I want to say, lifelong Texas Longhorns fan. Have you? Yeah, I would say close to that. Um, okay. And obviously, Brett and I went to school together, and we uh, had our fair sh- shared our fair share of memories of games. Uh, both good, some good, some bad. And obviously, the one that we always look forward to each year is the Red River Showdown, which is happening this Saturday in Dallas at the Cotton Bowl, though at 25% capacity. Uh, Texas coming into this game ranked, um, and OU not, not uh, probably for the first time in quite a while, if, if I remember. So, I mean, Brett, you look at this game, uh, OU having lost back-to-back conference games the first time, I want to say since 1998, really since the Big 12 started, and Texas coming in ranked higher than Oklahoma, which you don't see very often. Uh, what do you make of that, just going into this game? Yeah, yeah this is probably the first this, this has ever happened since, probably going back to, uh, in, in terms of the rankings, going back into like the kind of peak of the Mac Brown era, mm-hmm. uh, where Texas was kind of going into these games always favored. Uh, you know, Despite being ranked higher, I, I believe OU is still a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Um but we're coming in on equal playing field. Uh, it seems like Texas might have the advantage despite the the way the odds are, are going. And so uh, aside from that, I, I don't know. Uh, these teams are, I feel like there's still a lot to learn about both of them. Yeah, um, for sure. Really bad defenses, uh, high, high-powered high offenses. It's going to be a high-scoring game. So Definitely. We're see what happens. And I feel like OU is also like, with their two losses, I feel like they're maybe a play or two away from being on the winning side of both of those games. I mean, both of those games ended on Spencer Rattler and reception, so that's going to be a big factor heading into this game. So Spencer Rattler versus Sam Ellinger seems to probably be the big storyline of this game. Obviously, the past three years, Herman has played Oklahoma. They've faced the likes of Baker Mayfield, uh, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, two of those three quarterbacks from the Heisman. So what does Spencer Rattler bring to the table that's different than those three quarterbacks? Well, man, that that's tough. I mean, he's very young, uh, for sure. I think with those other quarterbacks, yeah, they were all transfers, um, and they, they came in with some experience, right? Uh, Spencer Rattler is a redshirt freshman. Um, he got to learn behind uh, Jalen Hurts, uh, and so he... And he has a lot of talent. I think he has a lot of finesse with the ball, and his touch is great. Um, and overall, very talented. But I think he has a lot more to develop um, to kind of, you know, really develop into Lincoln Riley's systems. But I think his potential is as high as those guys. I think so. And I mean, I've seen the way you see the way that he carves up defenses. He knows where to place the ball. It's just sometimes those. He just had a throw that's maybe a yard too long or just a yard too high, and that's cost him the game. And, exactly. And so I think, obviously, with time, that's going to be figured out. But I feel like against the Texas defense, which has been pretty porous, I mean, you give, what, 56 points to Texas Tech and then another 33 to TCU. But even though 33 to TCU might not seem a lot, I mean, the way they got those yards, it seemed effortless almost. So, I mean, yeah, so on this, if you look at this Texas defense... Um, we can talk about TCU in a second, but when you look at t- yeah. Texas, de- the Texas defense, what's what's like the what's the what's kind of the focal point of it, or what's causing the problems we're seeing so far this season? I would say definitely the secondary. Um, you know, we have a lot of talent in the secondary, but they they just don't. I don't know if they are 
really just making the right reads, if they're capable of uh, handling all these contested catches. It just seems like everyone's in the wrong place at the wrong time. For sure. Um, and they've been really picked on by good quarterbacks. And I mean, so, on, like, and on top of that, I think it's not only just being in the right place at the right time, it's also a matter of execution. I mean, the, it doesn't seem like the, the Longhorns has been tackling players really well this year it just seems like they throw their bodies at the guy but they're not really trying to make a play they're just trying to make that big like you know highlight reel hit as opposed to make a clean tackle that'll actually you know stop the play in its tracks and i think that's yeah, something that texas has struggled with um, over the years i mean you saw the way just just look at last year's red river showdown where cd lamb just um danced around the texas defense to score like what two touchdowns very yes. easily at that, and I mean, if that's yeah. the kind of tackling, and I feel like that's the kind of tackling we've still seen from this Texas defense so far this year, and if that doesn't change, I don't think it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be pretty in Dallas this um, this weekend. I I agree wholeheartedly on the tackling point. I, I think that is probably the the main uh, weakness in the Texas defense right now. Um, I saw an interesting stat this uh, this this week where uh, of the seventy four teams playing. Um, in the uh, in Division One, Texas is seventy second uh, in tackling. Yeah, and OU is seventy third. <laughs> Isn't that yeah, right? It's unbelievable. Seventy fourth is some Group Five team. Uh, it's crazy how bad tackling is in the, in the Big Twelve. It's kind of their reputation at this point. Um, yeah. But uh, another little uh, ironic tidbit I saw is that uh, Tom Herman keeps referring to Chris Chris Ash as a as an expert in the game of tackling. Um, Chris Ash has been trying to teach the the uh, young defensive uh, Longhorns that uh, rugby tackling. Uh, apparently, that is uh, is that is that is that what they're doing right now? Yeah, that's essentially that's what he's been trying to do mm. since fall camp um, when they were suiting up and you know doing tackling drills. Is rugby tackling's been the way to go, but you know clearly that hasn't um, translated to success on the field. So there's a lot to, to a lot of work to be done. Oh yeah, with then tackling, it just seems like the fundamentals is something this Texas defense needs to learn. But on top of that, I think what Texas defense also needs to be able to do, which is absolutely critical, is be able to force turnovers. I think the reason that Texas, the Texas Texas Tech game wasn't uh, even they were, even the fact that they were within fifteen at the end of the game or made special teams plays that basically changed the script of the game. And one tur- one or two turnovers in this game, I think that's really going to flip the script and make Oklahoma really be playing from behind for the most part. Of this game yeah and i think they definitely will have the opportunity to do that with spencer rattler at uh, quarterback you know? yeah uh, we talked about his his himself as a young quarterback with a lot of development but a lot of that comes with decision making that's probably his greatest weakness so far mm-hmm. um so you know the secondary is talented we're, we're still waiting for kane stearns to kind of have his big game this season if that'll happen who yeah knows? it's been a while since his freshman year so um, yeah, he actually he, made a play. So yeah, he had like clutch interception in the Tech game, but outside of that, uh, he's been very rusty. So yeah, um, I mean, I'm interested to see how this defense plays out. But I mean, you look at the offensive side of the ball. Texas has been very effective in moving the ball. Obviously, Sam Ellinger has been very reliable. But then you also see you have a strong receiving core um, led by Brennan Eagles, Brendan Brendan Schooler, um, a lot of other guys. And in the rushing attack, you have uh, Keontae Ingram running up and down the field. I mean, obviously, barring the fumble, uh, um, omitting the fumble at the goal line, he's been um, he's not been too bad. So I mean, what, what what do you see? How do you how do you let how do you prevent this? How do you if you're if you're um, 
was is it Mike Yurcich? Is that his name? The offensive coordinator. So that's correct. Yeah, if yeah. you're him, like, how do you limit turnovers? Because I know Sam Ellinger threw a pretty costly interception at the end of that first half last week, and then after that, you see um, obviously the fumble at the goal line. So how do we? How does Texas limit turnovers here? I think part of it is we need to have varied success in the run game and the pass game. And if you look at the stats, the uh, you know the run game, like the the yards per carry is pretty promising. We're, we're sitting around maybe five yards per carry. Um, and per game, it, it's very okay, um, but I think it needs there needs to be more even distribution to really open up the defense uh, and allow for uh, more opportunities for Sam to make big plays. Um, in the case, you know, the defense is expecting a run play, play. Yeah. Uh, just having kind of a, a dynamic use yeah. of, of yeah, I, just, I, I think the run game needs to help open up the pass game just a little bit more because it's hard exactly. to put it's hard to rest the game on Sam Ellinger and the entire game on Sam Ellinger's shoulders. Yeah, I agree completely. I think they'll go a long way um, in really uh, making sure our, our offense is multifaceted. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I think it's it's going it, to, it'll be a very interesting game. And I mean, that's one of the keys for Texas, uh, for Texas this week, at least for me, is establishing the run. I mean, uh, do you have, it, um, what, what are one of your, what are one of your, what are one of your keys to the game for UT? Well, looking on the offensive side, I'm, I'm in full agreement with you. Um, I think establishing the run game, our ability to actually be productive in the run game, um, you know, we have a very limited five uh, with Samuel Cosme leading the way, future first-round draft pick. Um, and so I think those guys need to – and uh, Roshan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not to mention Bijan. I really want to get to see uh, Bijan. Yeah, after that, crazy, after that crazy fall against Tech, I really want to see him play yeah. again because I know he has a lot of promise, and he's a pretty strong back. So – I'm interested to see how they use him, and I think I think um, the mistakes from Texas also really kind of they kind of keep adding up. Like you, um, even last week you saw Jake Smith that he had a critical drop on a really like a third and medium, oh, like where he had nothing but daylight in front of him. I mean, you can't make you yeah. can't make mistakes like that against a team like OU. Yeah, you know Jake Smith is quick. He's probably one of the fastest guys on the team. That would have been a touchdown, likely. You know, if he had been able to turn up field, but. You know, that's one of those cases where you got to first catch the ball before focusing. Yeah, I know. Like, receivers yeah. love to think ahead. <laughs> I mean, yeah. thinking ahead is good in the real world, but maybe not in football. <laughs> Worry about what's at hand. Yeah, please yeah. take it one step at a time. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, I know um, there's definitely a lot of surround defense, offense, a lot of weapons. I mean, so you said that this game's going to be a shootout. I mean, in a, in a shootout, is it going to be a matter of who gets the ball last, or is it going to going to come down to turnovers um you know those positive fumbles getting back there uh putting pressure on the quarterback uh and you know potentially having J- just a side rip rip out a, a ball get a strip mm-hmm. sack for us yeah um, you know and of course pressure also influences bad throws right um so that, that's a big part of it um mm-hmm. and you know it's going to be turnovers uh and that that's really going to be the biggest uh, influence here, I think, and I think UT is more talented and is capable of producing more turnovers. Right. So, and um, yeah, I think for me, um, the, I think that I think the other two keys to the game for me, one of them is going to be obviously establishing when we talked about it. The next key for me is making Spencer Rattler uncomfortable in the pocket. Texas has had trouble getting to the quarterback this year. They don't have a lot of sacks to show for it. So I think that if um, 
Keandre Coburn, Joseph Osai, or Overshown, or whoever else is there, whoever's out there going after the quarterback, if they can get in, in Spencer Rattler's grill, they can make him, they can force a mistake on him early and get get ahead from the jump. And then I think right after that, um, you look at Sam, you look at Sam Allinger. I mean, I think Texas, I think he took about what eight sacks last year against OU in the Red River in the Red River shootout. And oh, yeah, I mean, awful. Alex Grinch really came. To, he really came with the plan that week, and I think a lot of it was just Sam not getting rid of the ball when he's under pressure. Sam needs to know when to throw that ball away so that we don't lose. We're not we're not behind the cha- behind the sticks at any point in that game. And you you don't want to fall behind, lose five to ten yards on a play when you could have just thrown it away and just, just get right back to square one. So I think Sam being able to avoid the pressure and feel it, feel that pressure, and from on the other hand, getting two Spencer Rattler is really what's going to decide this game. And obviously the turnover. Yeah, yeah I agree completely. You know, if honing in on the defense, I, I agree with you on that key. Uh, we definitely need to put pressure on the quarterback. We need to get Joseph Osai more involved. Um, you know, last season we had a a defensive scheme of three down four uh, linebackers, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, now we've changed it up with a four three, and so Joseph Besai is routinely on the line, uh, pressuring the quarterback. Right. Um, and la- last game, they finally uh, kind of Chris Ash brought up uh, kind of a mixed for mixed bag of uh, different tricks and uh, stunts on that on that line, and really opened up the holes for Joseph Besai to get pressure. On yeah, the I mean it's the same kind of stuff that LSU ran against Texas just a year ago. So I'm glad that we're learning exactly. from our mistakes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, it, it seemed like, you know, every play, uh, Joseph Asai was back there disrupting Max mm-hmm. Duggan. Max Duggan was always falling on the ground. He just was influencing pretty much every throw. And, you yeah. know, he only got one sack, but he had three and a half tackles for loss. And so he was definitely a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. Um, and I just want to see him continue to play like that. Exactly. And I mean, as long as you get your, when you get your best um, defensive players like Osai, Overshone, and um, some of those guys involved, that's when we're going to win. That's when you're going to create some chaos and get a win. But then you, you you alluded to like the 50-50 balls. I mean, those are some of the intangibles that just Texas needs to take, you know, use its athleticism to an advantage. And I think they'll be able to do that. It's going to be a close game. And I pick Texas to win. And I'm always going to make the homer pick unless we're playing like, I don't know, Clemson or Alabama. But, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, I think Texas will eke this one out. It's going to be close. It might be decided by Cameron Dicker field goal again. Um, but I think, yeah, it's going to be decided probably by a late Spencer Rattler turnover. And that will ultimately uh, do the Sooners in. So what do you think, Brett? Well, you asked me for my prediction just a couple hours ago, and I gave it to you. I think I, I, Texas by six points. I think it's going to be close. Um, you know, if, if I had to give you an actual – Actual score. I didn't even give you a score, so if you can't if you can't come up with drum up one in your head right now, you don't got to worry about it. Dude, I could I could see it. I, I could see them both uh, scoring in the. 40s. I mean, if you look at it, if the the the, the, the two thousand eighteen game forty eight to forty five might have been one of the I might have been the highest scoring game in the history of the rivalry. So, do you think it's going to top that, or it's going to take I'd a lot more? Gonna, I'd say it's going to be about on par with that. I'd yeah, I think it'll be a little bit lower. I think we see our scores in the 30s, kind of similar to the game against TCU, because defense yeah. might be um, a little bit more of an issue. But we'll see how we'll see how it goes. That's what that's what I'm looking forward to, and I'm hoping we can hope, hoping we can bring home the win. Um, uh, as since I started watching the team back in 2015, Texas is two and three against the Sooners, so hopefully they can even it back up at three and three. 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then hopefully uh, we start training towards more of a winning record. Oh, uh, for sure. Before. And you know, one thing that I didn't talk about that I actually was meaning to talk talk about with you, Brett, is uh, Tom Herman. I mean, what does this game mean to Tom Herman? You look, you look at um, he has wins in, in his Texas career over Utah, Georgia, and some of these other teams. Um, Utah, Georgia, just to name a few. Um, Oklahoma, one year. I mean, he's beaten his fair share of ranked teams. But at the same time, these past, these, um, this past, ever, ever since the Sugar Bowl, it's been a little bit disappointing. So, um, is it safe to? Yeah. Is, do you think that his job security um, comes into question with the loss um, on Saturday? Oh, most certainly. I, I think there are very, there are career implications. Uh, rise, uh, kind of resting upset. on this game. Yeah, yeah. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I think after uh, after the loss against TCU, he kind of immediately placed himself on the hot seat. Because, I, yeah, because, I mean, you look at just this year, this is the first year where OU might not be the outright favorite for the Big 12. And Texas naturally has to take that spot. And if you don't win this, if you don't win the Big 12 this year, then what's your excuse, you know? Yeah. You know, part of the reason why Herman was hired was not to just win the Big 12 and eventually get us to the national championship, but to beat OU, uh, and he's one and two so far. If you were to go to one and three, like that mm-hmm. would not look good. Oh, for uh, sure. And I mean, yeah. that's what. And and in, in three years, and three years of Texas, only one Big Twelve championship game appearance. So that all that also that also says enough. So th- yeah. it, it just and just really this. I I think, in my opinion, this is probably the most important game of Tom Herman's coaching coaching tenure at Texas, without a doubt. Yeah, I agree completely. You and know, like the, the first few years, he he applied the same sort of excuses. Uh, he set the expectations pretty low for himself, mm-hmm. uh, and kind of successfully so. But at this point, he has a whole new coaching staff. I think this is you know really what it comes down yeah. to. I mean, Charlie Strong said um, right right before he got fired, he said the cake is baked. But I mean, has that it, and this um, after these three years, you really think that cake was baked? Uh, it, it, there's a lot of questions that. That, that kind of arise as a result but yeah I mean I think this is a huge game and I think if the I think if the if the Texas doesn't get the big 12 championship this year it might be it for Tom Herman to Texas so yeah definitely you know so, if he gets if he gets, if he loses this game I think he needs to win mm-hmm. every other game after to even stand a chance that uh, coming back as the right. coach for year five. So obviously a lot resting on uh, to, um, this game um, on Saturday. Texas and Oklahoma facing off at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas at eleven o'clock. Um, I know you're going to be watching, Brett. I will be too. Hopefully, I don't bite too many of my nails while I watch it. Um, but I'm looking forward to it, man. You got a lot of good insight here today, and uh, hopefully, we can come back and have some good things to talk about this Texas team when we get back to it next week. Definitely, let's get that win. Yeah, man. Thanks, Brett, um, and we'll catch you catch you in a bit. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening in on today's episode. If you like what you heard, have some thoughts, things to talk about, or want to join the show, feel free to let me know on Twitter at at KPTheFirst. If you didn't like what you heard, just remember to at me so that I can actually improve the show. You can find the Ladcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts, including iTunes and Spotify. Uh, well, with that, uh, thanks once again for giving us a listen this week, and hope to see you back here next Friday.